Our text is Mark chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse 3. In a sermon I've titled, Make or Break. And, you know, you think about making something or you break, you know, you just, you don't do it. Stories told of a man that was watching the news at night and had his little boy sitting there by him and the newscaster says, this just in, six Brazilian skydivers through a terrible accident perished today. And, and, and the dad just watching it like a dad would do, just watching the news, but that little boy, six Brazilian uh, skydivers suddenly dead. And, and he was getting a little upset, and the dad said, well, son, what's wrong? He said, Dad, that, that's awful. That's terrible. He said, well, son, you know, when they go skydiving, that, that's a possibility that that could happen. That's one of the risks, although that usually doesn't happen. He says, but so many of them and how much is six Brazilian anyhow? <laughs> okay. Now, he didn't understand. The world doesn't understand why you stay true to Christ. When things go wrong, when things seem to be bad, we hit those terrible places in life. Why, why stay? Well, God let them down, they think. Or the, something else. And many of those things will break you. If you're not on the part of making in which you're seeking God's will, to know God's will, follow His will, and have the commitment to never break from that will, regardless of my circumstances or what happens around me. And so, I lay that as kind of a foundation for today. And we read here in Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to begin with verse 3, where he says, Hearken, behold, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass that as he soweth, uh, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now drop all the way down here to verse 13. And he said unto them, now he's speaking to his disciples, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, that hear the word that is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh, and immediately he taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The Lord gives a parable. And then for his disciples who are not really catching it yet, want to know what's that all about? What does he mean? And so that's what we want to see as well. You know, 
There are times of make or break in the life of one, and we must, must, must always seek the Lord with our whole heart. Because those times are going to be hard. They hit Christians hard. Things hit us hard. And it seems unfair. It seems that shouldn't happen to me. But understand, the trial of your faith, if it's a true faith, it even demands trial, will show the greatness of God as you go through the trial, as you lean on Him, and you make Him your object instead of breaking under the attack of the world. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that as we look into this Word today, that You would give us clarity and understanding. And Lord, I pray if there's one in our auditorium today who does not know that if they died today that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. No one needs to <clears throat> try to prove that ungodliness and perversion rages worldwide. It is a hedonistic society. Restraint is removed just to fulfill all those things that are raunchy, reprehensible, and wretched. The desires of mankind that all follow under, under that heading. Seeking that they may be classified, reclassified, instead of as abominable, as normal, instead of the depravity that exists in those wicked desires of man. And so they want it allowed. And it seems it's growing worldwide by its promotion, by media, by government, by education, by entertainment. It just seems to grow and grow and grow. And on top of that, they want punished severely, very severely, anyone who would stand on the side of righteousness and truth. Yet we must remember, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And that is a truth of God, and you either believe God or you believe man. But until man can speak a world into existence, a universe into existence, he's not worth believing. Whenever there's a difference between the Word of God and man, the Word of God is always, 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 always right. And man is always, always wrong when there's a difference. Always. Always. And so, as we look at this, we want to stand on the side of righteousness. We live in a dangerous day today. We live in a period as the whole world does lie in wickedness, as we're told. Utter wickedness. Today they can enter our churches and turn them into rock and roll concerts. 
as if that honored an all-holy and all-righteous God. They do it in His name. The one who died on the cross to save us from our sin and the filth of this world. The one who sent Israel into captivity when they turned their worship to be like the world so that all their people would love it because it appealed to the flesh instead of the spirit. But in that they said, well, we're using the name of the Lord in it. Isn't it great? We're using some good words. Isn't it great? Not realizing that their reasoning is so false because that has just blasphemed the Lord and Savior who died for us. Yes, be it a political party, a politician, education, ecumenicalism, entertainment, none of those will save us from the judgment that begins at the house of God. It won't. It won't. 1 Peter 4, 17 is very clear. Judgment begins at the house of God. I believe God will judge this country if it doesn't turn back around. I've, you know, I hear people say, well, America's not really a Christian country. And if they mean by that, that everybody's not saved and everybody, I, I agree with that. But if you're talking about the principles on which it was founded, they're wrong. It's called Judeo-Christian ethic, a constitution and all that that was formed based on the Word of God. And so that's the way it is. And America, if it doesn't change back to that, it will also be judged, but not till its churches are judged. I don't know about you, but I'm understanding totally what the Bible meant when it said, Be ye angry and sin not. As I look upon the situation of the day. While the holiness of my God and Savior is fully attacked. And while that holiness is fully attacked, we have panty-waisted preachers who are cheerleaders for that movement. Seemingly promoting it as if people can really repent and get right with God by going that direction. And they don't realize that in being saved, we are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So why do we want to make church? Why do we want to make our individual lives like the world? I want to be relevant to God, not to the world. And there is a vast ocean of difference between the two. If America is going to be saved, it's going to take, it's going to take Christians who have a heart that will say, I want America saved and I'm not going to quit being a witness for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. That has to be the thought of each one of us. We just celebrated, as I told you earlier here during the announcement period, Veterans Day. Those were people who put their lives on the line for America. What are we willing to put our lives on the line for when it comes to God's work? 
What about for your children, your grandchildren, your spouse? I believe that too many across this country and too many who name the name of Christ wherever they may be on this globe have just given up. They give up to this depraved, sex-crazed society, a drug-infested culture, a filthy culture, or just do nothing at all and break, not their salvation, because they can't lose that, but I tell you what, they can break from the reward that God wanted to give them. They can break And as a result, their grandchildren may be in hell forever and ever and ever. They can break. And they did not stand in the gap for our heavenly country. Instead, we stood nonchalantly trying to act like, well, you know, we don't want the world to hate us. You know, I don't want the world to hate us. I want the world to get saved. If they get saved, they'll love us. But I'm not going to be like the world. That's not going to change. When you come to Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Don't allow this world to break you from the ministry which God has given you. And if you're saved, God has given you a ministry. He's given you a work. Why? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a job for you. God has a duty for you. God has something that He wants you to do. You say, well, what is it? Well, I do know by the Word of God that He wants each of us to be a witness. But in specifics, you know what? He's your Lord and Savior too. You talk to Him in prayer. You find out His mind in His Word. And you seek what He would have you to do. And then you do it. But understand as you stand, uh, take a step out for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Satan certainly will seek to break you. As Satan will lead the world to mock and oppress even really want to kill you. We must continue to witness to this unsaved, just this saved, unsaved world and live separated from sin, but separated unto holiness, the holiness of God. Separated from worldliness, Yes, even in the midst of a harsh and hateful and harassing opposition, as we continue to walk with God and not break before man. Now, I really haven't got into the breakdown of this yet. And I may not this morning. Because I want to share with you something in this sermon that illustrates the 
what I want to look at. I'm, I'm going to actually read this because it, it's a true story of people that stood. Dr. Lee Robertson was a talented singer. He could sing at an opera level. Now, when I was six years old, he baptized me. And I remember sitting up there in a college auditorium, auditorium field, and uh, somebody had done something in the student body. I don't know who did it, but whoever did it, he didn't know at the moment. And that man's white hair grew wider as his face grew redder. And when he talked, and he warned, that voice had such a power in it. There's a couple thousand of us sitting in the auditorium. I wasn't even a campus, I didn't live on campus. I was not living in their dormitories. I was off campus. What happened happened in their dormitories. And as he's going up there, I'm scared to death. I just know lightning's going to hit me at any moment. And I said, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that you didn't do it? You're not in any trouble. But then I looked down the rows and looked around, and everybody else scared to death too. And I thought of Moses as he came off the mountain. <laughs> Over a million Israelites. This old man, 80 years old or older, walks off the mountain, and all of them are shaking in their boots. They're scared to death. He's going to kill them all. An 80-year-old man, he didn't have the weapon of their days in his hand. He had the weapon of the power of God as he left that place. And yes, that was a Dr. Lee Robertson. But Dr. Robertson was, was offered as a young preacher, a musical contract in which, boy, he would do well. He turned it down at the time and forever turned it down. Matter of fact, you could hear him sometimes sing in the background at, at church, but never really ever heard him singing a solo, except at the end of the services when they'd dismiss, he'd say, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart, and he would start out singing. He'd say, give me a key of this or a key of that. Uh, and I don't know those things. I have to say, give me a key of L, because that's where I start. Okay, <laughs> low. And, and so, um, but he would do that, and that's where they'd sing. He, he'd just lead it out that way, but that's about the only time you'd hear him sing anything that was near a solo. But when he turned that huge contract down, he was pastoring a very small church. He was single. He was living not in an apartment. He was living in a room, a back room of the church that he had to make sure was cleaned up for Sunday because he uses a Sunday school class too. And there he has that offer, just barely making it. But God had a call on his life. And he stayed true. As a result, worldwide, 
missionaries have gone into about every part of the world that came out under his ministry. Churches were planted all across this country as well as in other countries. Because a man chose the will of God over the applause and the riches of men. But there's another brother in Christ who is also with the Lord, as is Dr. Robertson at this time. And I want you to listen to his testimony as I read it. George Beverly Shea was born in Winchester, Ontario, Canada, and had the advantage of good musical training early in his life. In the early years, he had his share of the lucrative offers of this world, but he thoughtfully turned them down to become a singing servant for our Savior. In George Beverly Shea's testimony, he said, I wrote, I'd rather have Jesus in 1933, as I sat one evening playing the piano. My mother brought to me a piece of paper on which was written a poem by Rhea Miller. She thought it to be a very wonderful poem and wanted me to read it. And then she asked me to try my hand at writing a melody for the verses. As I began to play, a melody came to me. It seemed to fit the lyrics. And so I began to sing for the very first time in his home to his mother. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have his, I'd rather have him than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and lands. I'd rather be led by the nail-pierced hands. Oh, the things that the world desires. But yet all those things that he just mentioned are things that at death are left behind. I'd rather have Jesus and be led by the nail-scarred hands. This was at a very hard time in Shay's life. It was during a de worldwide depression, especially in this country, which by that time he was living here. And his offers to go away from God's service were very tempting. But God convinced him to not take him. And I believe that Rhea Miller, with no idea writing that poem, had no idea that God would use that in that man's life to stay true to the call that he had had. And so those offers to go away were very strong. 
That was tempting God. And so God gave him these lyrics. By faith, he was convinced that they were right. And so he says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You know, that makes me ask myself the question, am I resolved? Resolved. Resolved. Am I resolved to follow the Savior? Whatever it would take to break me from the call, whatever it would take to break us from serving God, whatever it would take us from being faithful and being in His Word and, and living according to the Word, whatever it would take to do that is the very measure of our faith on the inner man. So each of us have to ask ourselves the same question. Where am I? You see, I look at those two stories and just the starting of a man sowing seed on the ground. And the birds of the air come and devour it up. And it falls in other places, other places, other places. Actually in that day it wasn't unusual to spread seed out like that and get it out there. But the fowls of the air got it. And then the Lord explains, well, It's actually the Word of God. It's sown in an unsaved person's heart. And Satan comes with all these things and it's taken away. But see, the one thing you might not see, well, really two things you might not see. First of all, because we're made in God's image, there's a free will that even though you realize you're not saved, you realize that if you died that you'd go to hell. And when you realize that, that you don't want to be saved. And people say, not now, not now. You have, by your own will, rejected the way of salvation. And yet, for the sower, he doesn't sow that seed and just say, well, I'll never use that ground again. My goodness, nothing ever grows there. The birds get it. I don't know if they had scarecrows in that day or not, but the birds get it, whatever. But you see, the one that keeps at it, keeps sowing the seed, keeps sowing the seed. You know what? That loved one of yours didn't get saved. That loved one of yours is off in all these kind of wild things. Oh, that's it. You know what? I've seen many tears over the years as a pastor. And even before that, growing up in church, where people had family members. They said there's never any hope for them, but people didn't give up on them, and they got saved, and they got right with God. Many of you listen to Oliver B. Green on the radio. Old Oliver B. Green tells the story. As a matter of fact, my dad preached uh, uh, services with him one time where they had Bible conference speakers. He told my dad, he said, and I think he said this on the radio too, he says, I'm going to die Long before 70, he says, I'll die. And I think he did around 55, 56, somewhere around there. He said, 
I'm raised in a Christian home. He said, I drank. I cussed my parents. I did all this other stuff. He talks about all the things that he went through. He says, you know what? The Bible says, honor your mother and father. He said, I did not. He says, after I got saved, I got things right with him, but not till then. He was in his 20s by that time. And when he died in that mid-50s age, he had died saying, I know the Lord's going to take me to heaven earlier instead of till my three score and ten. Stood with, that stayed with my dad for a long time. And I remember him sharing that story. But you know what that story tells me? Just like stories I've seen since then. Families gave up on a Boy, that wayward sister, that wayward brother, oh, that wayward mother, that wayward dad. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. It may be five years. It may be ten years. It may be twenty years. But don't give up on them. I want to tell this story in closing. I've never shared this story before, so I want to share it now. My brother, David, died with colon cancer at the age of 55 himself, I believe it was. He lived a very wicked, immoral, terrible life. I mean, he left, when he graduated from high school, he was going to Tennessee Temple College back in the 60s when that was, that was the fundamental college to go to. And David got so far from the Lord, alcohol, drugs, immorality. And so I drove up to where he lived in Georgia, and he was in the hospital, and we knew it was the last days. He said, Andy, he says, see how I am? He says, you know, about 10 years ago, I got saved for real. He says, I know that made this decision, got baptized and everything at I was growing up, but when I got truly saved, he says, I didn't want to tell mom and dad because they would say, oh, no, you got saved and you're like, I just don't count, and all, blah, 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 blah. He says, no, I really got saved, but I didn't want to hurt their feelings. But looking at me now, what I want you to know, that this is the result of my life. I deserve it. But God would save me and he'd forgive me. So I've seen it in my own family. Never give up. Do you have a soul that you've given up? Ah, they're not winnable. Oh, they're so hard that nothing's going to happen to them. Look, you don't know the work that God can do. Be faithful. Keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Whatever it takes to break you will prevent you from being made what God wanted you to be. And it will take from your eternal reward.
But that can't happen until first you're saved. Do you know, are you absolutely certain that if you died today, can you give me a biblical reason that if you died today that heaven's your home? Well, I got baptized. Well, well, I'm doing the best I can. Oh, well, I uh, said this little prayer. I went to Sunday school. I got confirmed. I, oh, I, I was this or that. Look, Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Hebrew, uh, Acts tells us in chapter 17 that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world by that man whom He hath ordained, proven him by Him raising from the dead, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you go through a religious ritual. I'm asking you, was there a day where you actually called upon His name to save your soul, meaning that you were giving Him your heart and life that day? You know you couldn't take away your sin, but you know He could. You knew He could, and you turned to Him to take away your sin, to cleanse you by His blood, and to give you everlasting life. Do you know that? Are you sure? If not, do you realize, you know, we don't like to be called stupid by anybody. Dumb. But to sit here this morning and not know for sure if you died today that heaven's your home, and then you go out. I mean, Brother Hollis was here just last week. He walked up those stairs last week to the baptistry to fill the baptistry. He walked up to the uh, uh, gym over there just to, uh, for the meal that we had. He walked up to the dining hall before that for the men's prayer. I mean, he did all of those things. He was walking around here taking up the offering. And two days later, he's with the Lord. See, we aren't the ones that say the day that we're going to die. We're not the ones. Are you sure if you died today that heaven's your home? Let's bow our heads, please.